Hebrews 12, verse 14 through 17. Verses 14 through 17. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal, For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. What is worldliness? I can remember since I was a kid, some preacher talking about these worldly people. And, 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 all of the speeches or sermons and all of the counsel I've ever heard on what is worldliness always is the same. It, is, it relates to some things that you do. Now I know that I am dating myself, but I want to tell you what was considered to be worldly when I was a kid. Cards. You couldn't play cards. That was worldly. Now you could play old maid, you know, but anything that had spades and diamonds and all that stuff, you couldn't play cards. That was worldly. Going to see the films, we call it going to the show on Sunday was worldly. Only the worldly folks went to the show on Sunday. Wearing makeup was worldly. And jewelry was was if you wore jewelry, you were a worldly person. Shorts. Uh, when I was a college student, we went out one Sunday to a little country church and we had youth rallies on Sunday and this young preacher got up and worked himself into a sweat, preached for about 30 minutes on girls wearing shorts. And he gave an invitation asking for all the young people that would quit being worldly and would commit that they wouldn't wear shorts anymore and they'd always wear a dress to come forward. Got zero response to that invitation. <laughs> Wearing pants, you know, and le- uh, especially jeans, that's worldly. Had to do with the kind of car you drove. You could drive up to church in a brand new Plymouth. You weren't worldly. But if you had a Cadillac, it could be 40 years old, but if you had a Cadillac, that was worldly. Going to the skating rink, you know, you could wear those skates that you attached to your shoes and skate on the sidewalk, but you couldn't go inside the skating rink. And if you played pool, especially at a pool hall, you were really labeled. Mixed bathing. Now, I understand it wasn't bathing, really. It was it was co-ed swimming. Where they got the term mixed bathing, I don't know, but you know, boys and girls could not swim together. Still is true at Falls Creek, right? <laughs> mixed bathing. And, and, you, and somebody penned a little poem during my era about worldliness. Believe as I believe, no more, no less. I'm wrong and no one else. I mean, I'm right, no one else. Feel as I feel, think as I think, drink what I drink, eat what I eat. Look as I look, 
Do only as I do, then and only then I'll fellowship with you. And if we lived up to the list that some people had, we were not worldly. I've got my own list. Now, my list contains the things that, are, that aren't worldly. The thing that, the, what worldliness isn't. I got three things. I know you're dying to hear it. Number one, I'm going to make some of you just really happy with me tonight. I just know that. But that's okay. Worldliness isn't something external. That is, you can't look at somebody and determine if they're worldly or not. You can't just look. Now, you know, on some, you know, for sometimes you might see some actions and you, you, you could say that person was not worldly, that was not spiritual, was worldly. But you can't just look at somebody and the way they dress or the way they look say that person is worldly. You know, we like to stretch out the word. Secondly, worldliness isn't based upon preference, tradition, or feeling. Now, I have a feeling that sometimes, probably most of the time, what we call worldliness is what somebody enjoys doing or a tradition or a feeling that somebody has that I don't have. Now, you may like, you, your preference may be for a certain kind of music, and that would not be my preference. That doesn't mean you're worldly. I think we need to nail that down. And you may have a preference for a certain hairstyle that I don't have. And the Lord knows that the hairstyles are unbelievable in this day and time. I checked out Falls Creek. I have never seen anything like it. If I'd have gotten a haircut, when I, you know, like, like some I saw, I thought the guy was, went to sleep while he was cutting my hair and just shaved it right up here all the way to, to the top. It's, it's unbelievable. And just because you have a preference for a certain hairstyle or a certain way to look does not mean that you're worldly and I'm not. Third, it is not something geographical. Now I remember folks driving around in certain sections of town where I live and saying all those worldly people live here. And you know, kind of in the in the nice part of town, you know, and, and, and saying, this is where all those worldly folks live, in this part of town. It's not geographical. Well, what is worldliness? Well, I want to help you find an answer to that. I'm going to take plenty of time in doing it. So I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 2 before we get to the text. And we're going to take a look at the second chapter beginning at verse 15 find that quickly. Now I want us to nail down a definition of what worldliness is and what it isn't. Verse 15, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life 
is not from the Father, but is from the world. He's talking about worldliness. Now let me give you a definition of what he means by world there. World, the word world represents a system, a philosophy that is anti-God. A system, a philosophy that is anti-God. Worldliness is a mentality that discounts or denies that Christ is Lord. I want you to write that down. You need to where you can look at that. Worldliness is a mentality that discounts or denies that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now it may work itself out in these three ways. The love of the eye, the lust of the eye, and the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. But worldliness is a mentality that denies or discounts the Lordship of Christ. Now, take your New Testament and turn to 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. 1 John 5, 19. Now look at this. We know that we are of God... And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. I like the translation that has that. And the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. That is, in the lap of Satan is worldliness, but we are of God. Now, if I can help you kind of get the picture here, let me do it this way. Have you ever been to a town, city where there's a lot of smog I mean, you can see the air you breathe. And you, you fly into, have you ever flown into Los Angeles and, and you know that you know, you, you're going to disappear in the smog as you come into that place? You can actually see the air you breathe, this atmosphere that surrounds you. If you've never been to a city where there's a lot of smog, imagine, I know some of you have been, you've, you've been up on top of a mountain that was, that was surrounded by a cloud, okay? Vapor all around you. Surrounding atmosphere. Now, worldliness is a system of atmosphere that is being pumped into your head that surrounds you. It's an order or a system in which Satan is the head. His fallen angels are his emissaries and the unsaved are his subjects. And together with these people, purposes and pursuits and practices, God is not wanted. It's an atmosphere that surrounds you where God is not welcome, where God is not wanted. Now the thing that makes worldliness so dangerous is this, that it is a system of thought that establishes our standards for us. A system of thought that establishes our standards for us so that if Satan is the head of this system and his fallen angels are his emissaries and the unsaved are his subjects, he develops a system of life where his standards become the standards. That's why it's so dangerous. And believe me, I believe we live, you know, in that kind of world system where Satan's standards have become our standards. 
to live by. All right, now when we get to chapter 12, and that's where we are right now, we find this is a chapter on running the race. It's a chapter on life. And he says, now the way to run this race is to keep on meditating on Jesus Christ. Keep on meditating on Him. There is this world system that surrounds you, but you keep your eyes on Jesus. And you keep your meditation on Him. You keep Him before you. And in verses 12 through 13 of chapter 12, he gives us this transition and he says, and don't stop when it gets hard. You need endurance. You keep on running the race. And he gives two positive commands. And they're found in verse 14. And these are the two positive commands, and I find this intriguing. For when the, apostle, when the author of the book of Hebrews begins to deal with worldliness, he doesn't tell the folks not to go to the Roman arena or drink the Roman wine or to run with Roman women or you know, dip the Roman tobacco. What he does tell them is an, is an unusual thing. He tells them two things. He tells them to pursue peace. Pursue peace. And the word means to go after it with urgency. He's saying that we are to commit ourselves to harmony with others. Now the implication there is that as far as the author of the book of Hebrews is concerned, worldliness begins when people can't get along with one another. That the beginning of a world system that denies or discounts God begins with people who can't live in harmony with one another. That's what James talks about, as a matter of fact. He said, Where does the where do the fightings come between you? Becomes in, it, it, they develop out of your lust. What well, he's saying that the world system begins, a system that denies or discounts the Lordship of Christ begins when people cannot live in harmony with one another. You set harmony, peace with one another at the center of the bullseye and you make that your objective. Now watch carefully. Pursuing peace calls for some adjustments. I heard about a guy who said when we got married, my wife and I agreed if we had a conflict that, we, we, that she was to get it off her chest to tell me what, how she felt about it and I was to take a walk. You know, go for a walk, get out of the house. He said, I guess that's why I'm an expert on outdoor life. <laughs> now, what he's saying was that in, 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 in every experience in life, somebody's going to have to say, hey, I'm, that's not important. I'm going to back off. Now, I'm not talking about peace at any price I'm talking, I'm talking about pursuing harmony. Now don't give up your convictions, but somewhere along the line there has to be these adjustments that's, that will say, hey, I want peace among us. Now every marriage has to have that. Every marriage must be made up of two people who are striving toward harmony and peace with each other. Every home has to have that. Instead of kids, instead of desiring and, 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 and wanting your privileges and your freedoms, 
The goal is that you strive for peace in your home. And you're willing to back off and you're willing to compromise and you're willing to submit because what you want more than anything else is that your mother and your father live in peace with you and that there's harmony in the home. Every home must have it. Every church must have it so that the objective, the pursuit of the church is that there is this harmony, this fellowship. The second thing he says for us to pursue is sanctification, holiness. Now the word for sanctification is the word hagios and it means that purity of conscience that enables you to approach God. It is that uniqueness that is God-like, pursuing, going after, making as the, as the, at the center of the bullseye that I have this God kind of uniqueness about my life. My ideals are different. My aims are different. And someone you're working with, you see, the, the worldly system says, don't you take anything off of that person you work with. God's way says, there's another way. Turn the other cheek. Live in patience. Live with patience. It's to put in the center what God is like, what God would do. Now watch what he said. He said, if you're not in pursuit of harmony... And if you're not in pursuit of the God kind of uniqueness called sanctification, you will never see God at work in your life. Listen to me carefully. If in your home you're not pursuing fellowship and harmony in your marriage with your parents, with your children, with one another, you'll never see God work in your home. You'll never see Him work. If you... If we're not pursuing harmony and peace, if we're not in pursuit of holiness in this church, sanctification that is uniquely like God, we will never see Him work in this church. For God will not work in a situation where that situation is worldly. And His concept of worldliness is where there is no, no harmony and no godliness. And we'll never see God at work until we make that the center of our pursuit. Two positive commands. Three negative commands. And these three negative commands begin with the word no. Found in verses 15 and 16. No one, no root, and no immoral person. Now watch what he says. Verse 15. Let me read it. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Now what, what does he mean by that? He means that the Christian is to operate in the realm of grace. The Christian is to operate in the realm of grace. Now many of us operate in the realm of the law. Operate in the realm of grace. And Jesus told a parable about a man who had been forgiven of, a, of an unpayable debt. He turned right around and demanded that his debtor, the man who owed him, pay him off a debt far smaller than the one he owed. And Jesus taught this lesson. He said, you are the recipient of mercy, therefore show mercy. You are the recipient of forgiveness, therefore be forgiving. You are the recipient of kindness, therefore be kind. 
You are the recipient of grace, therefore, demonstrate grace. What we want to do, you know, we're just surrounded by all these legalists, you know. There's just a bunch of them among us. And we have all these requirements and restrictions of people, legalistic requirement, requirements of, of, and have these lists. He said, don't operate out of law, but I operate out of grace. Practice that. It's good for the home. That's what we're, that's what we're studying on Sunday night in my, my class, Parenting by Grace. Then he said, secondly, he said, don't allow a root of bitterness to spring up among you. Now, normally we interpret that to mean don't let bitterness grow in your heart. doesn't mean that. He's talking about, and the literal translation of that directly from the Greek pure is don't have a bad man in the church. And what he is referring to is the fact of the evil influence that exists within the body of Christ that produces a poisonous influence or, or a poisonous effect on the congregation. Now here's the question. Is there in your heart, in your life, are you like that? Are you the kind of person that just kind of poisons the fellowship? Are you the kind of person that brings sweetness to the fellowship? And he is really drawing from an Old Testament example, and that's Deuteronomy chapter 29, where God is getting His people together. He said, I'm, make, I'm, I'm making a covenant with you. And He said, be sure if you're going to be My people that there's not one among you who will produce the fruit that poisons. Now, folks, whether we want to admit it or believe it or not, being a member of the body of Christ is a serious responsibility. And worldliness is when a person pervades the fellowship with a poisoning influence. Be careful about that. Then he said third, he said don't tolerate the Esau syndrome. And he gives, you know the story, old Esau was hungry and his brother came in and, and he had some soup, mess of pottage the Bible says, and Esau was hungry and he said, I'll tell you what I'll do, I'll, sell you, I'll give you my birthright for that mess of soup, that, that bowl of soup. That's the table paraphrase. Now a man's birthright was his privilege of being the, spirit, the, the priest of his family when his father died. That is the spiritual leader of his family. And what he was doing was he was selling the right to be the spiritual leader of his family for soup. And his decision was such that it was irreparable. When he wanted to change his mind, it was too late. Now let me see if I can bring that down and, and, and make that analogy apply to this day. What it means is this. That a person is, can see only that which satisfies his physical 
appetite and desires. He can't see beyond his physical desire. He can't see this, the divine perspective, from the divine perspective. All that matters to him is that his physical desires are gratified. And what he's saying is this. Be sure, can you imagine a man selling his spiritual right for a bowl of soup? Well, I'm going to tell you what. Everybody in this room has a price. Everybody has a price. The question is, what is your price? I mean, what are you willing to sell out for? The author of the book of Hebrews says, be sure that you will not sacrifice your spiritual walk for any reason. For any reason. Now there are two applications, two thoughts. How can I, how can I live? How can I not be worldly? Well, I'm going to give you two thoughts and that's it. Number one, adjust your pace after starting the race. Now what I mean by that is that there are times when you have to make adjustment along, the, along in life. Now, I didn't say you compromise your conviction, but you make adjustments in life. That is, you understand that you have freedom to a certain extent, to a certain point. Your freedom ends where His freedom begins. And the objective of your life is not that you have your freedom, but that we have harmony. It may be, in order for harmony to develop, fellowship to develop, that some of us will have to adjust a little bit along, along as we run the race. It may be that I may have to say to somebody, hey, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Second, Imagine the consequences. Imagine the consequences before you commit. Imagine the consequences before you commit. In other words, before you make a decision about how you're going to live this day, you need to consider what effect that decision is going to have on you and others. Especially upon your church. Wouldn't it be marvelous if every home was like that? Where every teenager, before he decided what he, was, what, he, what, he, what he did and what he said, before he did it, he considered the consequences. Imagine what it would be like if every marriage was like that. That before we did what we wanted to do, we, we, we considered how that's going to affect the people I love and made the adjustment. Wouldn't it be wonderful if in every church and every community that kind of thing went on? Now, the thesis and the proposition of this text is this, that worldliness is not so much some external um, habit or some 
external practice, but worldliness has to do with relationships. Let's pray together. Father, I pray tonight that that we'll do it the biblical way. We'll find a way to live in peace. We'll find a way to be uniquely separate and different. And that we'll, we'll make those kinds of a deci- decision and adjustments. We'll bring about peace, harmony. I pray for that, Lord, in the home, church. God, help us to see that, that a world system that denies the Lordship of Jesus Christ bears horrible and eternal consequences. Help us to choose the right way because I pray in Jesus' name for His sake. There are three invitations tonight. First invitation is an invitation for you to for church membership, an invitation for rededication of your life. The fact is, that many of us are not one flipping bit of difference from the rest of the world. We're not a bit different from the, from the unsaved. Would you like to make a decision tonight that would, that would begin to pursue a life that is different from the world? Maybe you'd like to come publicly while we stand, while we sing.